This is a Baby Brunch podcast. We're going to introduce our parents and Baby Brunch panel to you. So as they're coming to the front, ladies and ladies and gentlemen, as we are celebrating life in your life. Oh, my tears. Please, God. We love you back. <laughs> Please welcome a mom who does amazing stuff online, Melissa Swartjodoring. She puts her children on social media and she goes, wow, they're my blessings. And we go, ah, don't take pictures of my children. And she goes, no, they're my biggest blessing. She's here today to celebrate with us. Melissa Swart. Follow her online right now. Next to her, a guy, single moms without dads in their lives. This guy started the Fatherhood Foundation in 1998. Yes, he's an actor on Seven and my dad in Feinskriff. But he's famous and we love him so much. And he's a dad and his wife is here. And we love you so much and the work that you do in our communities and what you teach men in our lives. Zane, thank you so much for coming all the way from Joburg this morning. Zane Mias. I was a young girl in media, so I was still doing children's TV. And I knew an editor who can write and spell just like Judy. Judy can spell. She spells really well. But this woman was phenomenal. I was like, one day I want to just meet her and be around her. And then she created what's called The Village. And all of a sudden I was like... Wait a minute, online we don't feel alone anymore when we're raising kids because someone on Facebook is talking about the positivity about parents because there's so many perks, there's so many positive things about parenting, guys. And her name is Vanessa Raffaele and she's here today! Then, earlier, our director of the Parent Center was talking about a phenomenal mom I'm just going to call it, because you know what? All of us, you know me now, right? I just speak as it is, because I don't have a filter. So, our next mom is the most beautiful Muslim woman I've ever seen in my life. And I, I hold her. <laughs> and what's cool about her is, is that she's so courageous that most of the time when we're wearing our scarves, we think like, wow, what am I going to do, right? Can I take these bold moves and steps? And she's done it all. You name it. She'll tell you about it, okay? So I just want to tell you today that no matter who you are, from which background, from which religious, anything, no matter who you are, you are strong and you're awesome. And I've seen it. And I've seen it in the form of Shahana Mia. She's here today from the Parent Center. Let's give her a warm round of applause. our panel of crazy good people. Look at them. Zane, you must sit down. <laughs> Thank you for coming, everyone. Let's give them a round of applause. Zane, I want to start with you. I want to know when you're acting and when you've got a life that's busy already because you have... Zane and his wife have a lot of children. They do. Yeah, because your life is rich and when your life is rich, we don't have to share it with people, right? We can just be on our own and keep all the nuggets that we have learned in life to ourselves. 
Why, why did you start the Fatherhood Foundation? And why are you passionate about being a parent? Why am I passionate about being a parent? Why did I start the Fatherhood Foundation? I, I, I used to go around as a celebrity um, and to events, and I'd always noticed that there were more women and children than men. And I, I wondered where the men are. I have three sisters who are single-parent mums. Um, and, and, and so I wanted to look into this thing, and I did some research and found out that our country is two-thirds single-parent homes. Not half, not a third, two-thirds. That means more kids are now growing up without a father figure than kids who are. And this relates to the social ills that we are experiencing today. Teenage pregnancy, gang violence, drug abuse, teen suicide, all related to fatherlessness. Our prison systems are overcrowded, boys who didn't have role models, and boys will join gangs because they don't belong to a gang called family led by a leader called father. And I believe that, and, and, and hear me in the spirit of which I say, uh, that women, single moms, can't teach boys to be men. Okay, no outcry, thank you. <laughs> because it's difficult for a woman to teach a boy. She can teach him good manners, she can teach him to say please and thank you, etc., etc. But to teach him to be a man, it's impossible because you, you don't have that within you. He needs to learn that from a man. You can teach your daughter to be a, a very good girl and all of that kind of thing. So I've experienced this. I had a wonderful father. I've, 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 I'm trying to be a good dad to my kids. And I see, I see what happens when fathers are involved in children's lives. And I see, unfortunately, what happens when fathers are not involved in children's lives. Kids are more, 20, 20 times more uh, prone to ending up in prison if they don't have a father. Uh, uh, kids today, you know, I go visit in some homes and, and the respect that there used to be in, in my day when I growing up as a child is just not there anymore. You walk in, you're not, you're not offered a seat, you're called by your first name, not even Mr. Zane, not even Zane, I'll take Mr. Menkes even, that doesn't even happen. <laughs> and he says, uh, just have a, have a seat, Jenny, Zane is here. I'm going, who's Jenny? No, that's my mother. And, and, and for me, to see single mums trying to play two roles is unfair. You didn't make the baby by yourself. Why are you bringing up kids by yourself? Where's the guy? And, and, and I know many of you aren't single mothers by choice. So many mothers in our country are not single mothers by choice. So where are the men? Why are they not taking up this responsibility that is so vital? Why, why are they absconding? Why have they stepped away from that? And my job is to speak to them about the importance of manhood, number one. You can't speak about fatherhood unless you talk about manhood. And secondly, fatherhood. The definition of father. I don't know if we're going to get there. Am I talking too much? You want to go on to some of the other panels? Just please, uh, we have your valuable time. You flew in. We must pay an air flight ticket. So yeah. keep talking. You must talk lots. Please. What else do you yeah. want to say, Zane? You the said floor this, is yours. You said this is good for my CV. <laughs> so in doing the Fatherhood Foundation, I discovered uh, to go study father, uh, what it means. And I looked up the Oxford Dictionary. And because I'm a spiritual person, I also looked in, 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 in books that will uh, help me to assist this. And what it comes down to is that the father, definition of a father is not just the caregiver and the person who looks after the children that he's helped given birth to, but he's also meant to be, he's called the root, he's called the source, the seed, because he carries the seed. He's meant to be the anchor of the family, meant to be the anchor of the family. So when the storms of life are carrying on, the father's meant to be there too. And so many women are doing that today now. I know of single mothers who have two jobs and she's working a second shift on a second job just to make sure there's food on the table, there's electricity in the box, school fees are paid, 
And of course, airtime. Mommy, buy me airtime. They've got to have airtime for the kids. They've got to be on social media. There's a Uma, a grandmother, Gogo, with a pension of 1,600, who's got a family of six, seven, sometimes ten or more people that she's taking care of on one six. How she does it, I don't know. She doesn't know. God alone knows. But to those mothers, I say, I take my hats off to you. I salute you and I thank you for the work. Because if it wasn't for single mothers, I don't know where this country would be. But men have to step up. So the definition of father that I came up when I wrote my book, Daddy Come Home, see how I plug that in there. Um, <laughs> I learned from the best. I learned from Ilana. The definition I came up with is the father is the founder of a lifestyle. The stichter van de levensweise. So the lifestyle that we enjoy is because of the dad that we had in the house or didn't have. Even if you didn't have a father, he still affected you. Because he's the founder of a lifestyle. He's the person that sets the tone and the atmosphere of the house. And, and if that, is, vital, is, that, that is, is, is absent, children are robbed of that experience. Single mothers are robbed of the comfort and security of having a partner to assist them in this thing. Um, or, or even financially to go through this. Of course, the landscape of family has changed a lot now. We've got single-parent homes, we've got child-headed households, we've got mummy-mummy households, we've got daddy-daddy households. So it's all changed, but we've got to understand why dads and men in particular are so important in the social structure of family as we see it. I'm going to stop there because I'm... That was brilliant. Yeah, just go on and But on. you're incredible, and I... I see how you have unpacked it for yourself because you had a dad and you are still married to your beautiful wife. She's you can be a there. dad. Don't, don't, when people look at my wife, please don't look for Charmaine. Everybody's asking me outside. Va Charmaine, va Charmaine. Charmaine is nini. That's Megan, Megan over here. Can I have my wife stand for a second? Megan, don't you just want to stand just for a second? It's not Charmaine. She's far younger and, 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 and taller and taller. She's my better three-quarter. I talk a lot on fatherhood and what I do, but my household would come to a standstill if that woman wasn't there. I'd, I'd be the first to admit that. And we're celebrating in three, three days' time. We're celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, so your question was, I just want to give a shout out to that woman. <laughs> Next to Zane, we have Melissa Swart. I often say to Melissa, because we've, we've journeyed a little bit this year, and Melissa, in fact, is our last podcast before this event. So if you go into babybrunch.co.za now and you click on podcasts, you'll get to hear Melissa's story. Um, and we chat for almost 45 minutes about life and about how sometimes life is remarkable, but that that bad things also happen to good people, right? I love the way you parents, and even last night having dinner with you, how you tell me stories about how you raise your babies and how you encourage them to just be humans who are respectful and kind and that values themselves. And I just enjoy your honest approach. You've got this hashtag honest to mom truth thing going and you talk about it often. Please introduce yourself to all our mommies and our daddies. And unpack what we have discussed up until now. And even at our Gauteng event, why you feel it's an honor being a mom. I'm Melissa. Hi, guys. 
I am a mom of two kids. Um, my daughter is five and my son is three and a half. And um, it's been such a privilege for me. I, I started another baby. Um, it's called One, Two, Three Parent. And it's on all living and loving magazine platforms where I made it my mission to discuss parent in an honest way. Because um, social media especially paints this very warped, picture of what parenting is supposed to be. It's all the pretty clothes and the big headbands and the bouncing back with your body and all of those types of conversations and things that women pride themselves in, um, in being perfect. And um, we decided to create this series, one, two, three. Um, it was a little play on word, I'm going to count to three. And then... And then we just discuss things that we all struggle with. I have an amazing panel that works with me, Nadia Birkus, Mona Monyane, Roseanne McKenzie, and JC, he's our first dad this series. Um, and they all share their stories and talk about things that they've gone through. And it's so amazing to hear all these different perspectives on the same topic. Um, and it gets me really excited. Um, I am honored to be a mom because it unlocked something in me that I know would have stayed hidden forever had I not had my kids. So I was someone who didn't want kids, well, at least not my own. Um, my feeling was because there's a world out there with babies that didn't ask to be here, so I'd much rather be a mom to one of them than to have my own, just to say that I have blood family. But God knew differently. Both my kids are... Um, surprise babies. I only found out almost 10 weeks, 12 weeks into the situation that I was pregnant. There was something, even my husband said that there's a softness that came with becoming a mom, going through labor, um, journeying with the newborn. And I am so grateful for that, even though it was not my plan. I am privileged to have um, gotten to know a part of me that I never would have gotten to know had it not been for my kids. So I am so grateful um, for them for unlocking that and um, allowing myself to love that part of me as well, just as much as I've worked hard to love all the other parts of me um, that were broken and bruised and imperfect. They allowed that little piece to just add to the colorfulness of who I am and to help me Love myself wholly. Melissa Swart. <laughs> Vanessa, I can't believe you're here. I'm such a fan. <laughs> so, Yulan, one of my friends that's here, we always talk about the village, and it's because of something that you've started, you know? Um, Vanessa's babies are a little bit older, and I'm enjoying her a lot because our children will grow up, right? What I had to learn... About two weeks ago when I did a podcast with uh, an HR lady, we talked about going back to work and things you need to ask your boss for. She said, why don't you ask for time off in the afternoon to watch the soccer match or ask for money while you are on maternity leave? We're so terrified, right, of asking for stuff that is due to us <laughs> that most of the time we won't get it because we're so scared of the word yes or no. And what was interesting and very exciting for me in the week you don't even know that you've inspired me through an SMS. All I said to Vanessa was, can you come to dinner on Friday? And she said, I'd love to be there, but Friday is family day. So I'm not going to make it. Which means she would love to be with me, needy Ilana, 
But she's not going to be with me because her family comes first. Yeah. I love that. And, and then we ended it off and we said cheers. And I thought that was really powerful. That you can keep traditions and things that are important to you. Also, you do stuff that's important to us. You have made us realize that there's so many pros to being a parent and that this village that you've created, it's actually called The Village Online, guys. So on Facebook, go and subscribe. That, that the village can help us because people share their stories. Tell me why you created that platform initially. Because your babies weren't babies when you created it. I haven't got a very big voice. Um, but I have big children. I have um, four, three of my own, and one who materialized because I needed more. Who knew? Um, and the two oldest are almost 20, almost 19, uh, 19, 18, and 13. So I have two writing matric right now, maths on Monday. I have one in first year varsity, totaled her car on um, Tuesday. And I have one gremlin going off to high school. Got in <laughs> um, next year. So if that was not possibly the answer for why I felt there was a need for a support system for people with older children, because I'm here kind of as the granny in the room, I see, but I'm also here as um, possibly the ghost of Christmas's future. You can survive. Yeah. I also, as I was listening to all these wonderful stories and listening to tenderness, I was thinking... Actually, I was hot before I had kids. <laughs> but no, you will survive. And the beautiful thing that I can tell you from the other side of parenting is uh, the other side of child rearing is that it, um, it is, you, you come out, you and the children, very bashed and bruised but still beautiful, and that every phase is as lovely and delivers in some way, shape or form what you were talking about, the tenderness, the love, the pride, the um, involvement, but also, oh my goodness, the sleepless nights. And I am quite a robust person, quite a well-supported person. I've run a company of 100 people, 140 people. Um, I've worked all over the world. I've done a lot of stuff in my time. And I was cut down, short, to my knees, on my knees by my teenagers. So I thought it takes a village to raise a child. It takes communities like the communities that you've all created, that just as um, we've just said, that social media throws up a very different picture to people when you're home and you've got baby vomit in your hair and you've got a teenager who's disappeared and has switched off his phone because it's Life360 last night winning Vanessa hashtag. Um, you need help. <laughs> you need help. And the best help I found is the company of strangers who became friends. So the village is now 32,000 strong. It grows 1,000 every month. Those, it has an engagement of 91%, which means that 91% of those 31,500, 32,000, I don't know exactly, are on that village reading, commenting, supporting, respecting, hearing other people's point of view every single day. And... It takes a village, yes. It can also take a very small idea, and it's a very, very small idea. Just be kind. Just listen to someone else. Don't try to evangelize. Don't change their mind. Respect the way that they raise their children. Because I can tell you, 20 years plus of raising children has not made me an expert. It's just made me humble. 
It's just made me realize that we all just bumble along, we try our best, and that our very best is when we do it together. Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. Next to Vanessa, we have Shahana Mia. Shahana Mia is here from the Parent Center, but also because when I heard some of Shahana's story, I was intrigued. I'll never forget, I was in the Northern Cape with my daughters. My husband did me a favor driving my family and all of us to Dear to go and see the rest of our family. We will never go back. <laughs> it was a very long time. And it showed his true love for me because it was far, but we made it. And I was standing in the road in Wolfstraat in Da'ar, having the longest chat with Shahana as we discussed Parent and Baby Brunch Gauteng, the involvement of the Parent Center, and also our lives and how similar all of our stuff is. You know, we just look different. We're actually just the same person. Shahana, I knew where you were in your life the last time I spoke to you. You were a mom that has had enough, that went on to do your own thing. Tell me more. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you for the opportunity again. Really, really appreciate it. And yes, I am here uh, representing the Parent Center. But I do have a story, and I think uh, that's important to share. Because every woman is a daughter, but not all of us are mothers. And each of our roads that we travel as a mother or as a woman um, is different. And my story started a while ago. So actually, I am from Johannesburg. I trained as a social worker. And I opted not to work because I want to dedicate my life to my family, just as my mom was a full-time mom to us. Um, moved to Cape Town 23 years ago, had my three children, who are now um, young adults. So I've got a 14-year-old son, I've got a 19-year-old daughter, and a 21-year-old daughter. And I'm very blessed to have these three human beings in my life to be able to share and just journey with them. And I think the most important thing that I learned from them is just to embrace life and stand up and stand tall. Because after 18 years of marriage, I actually asked out. I asked to be relieved from that bondage of marriage, which is sacred to all of us, no matter what faith you come from. But I realized that I actually was not serving my creator the, the way I wanted to. I had lost my voice. I had uh, forgotten that I had an opinion. I actually didn't know who I was. Um, I just realized that there were things in my life that were, were different, and I needed to rediscover who I was to find my true, authentic self. And um, because of that, thankfully, we parted very, very amicably. And I agree with you, Zane. Um, that the father does have a role to play. And that's why we chose to co-parent our children. So they're with their dad for a full seven days, and then they're with me for a full seven days, which means for seven days, I'm alone. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I could do what I want to, go wherever. But gosh, there are times when I just, I don't know who to talk to. And when the kids come home, then I babble along, and then I realize it's because I've had no one to talk to. So just going back a bit, um, because I'm from Johannesburg, all my family's there, so our support structure's there. Immediate family, support structure, your network, 
that web that just guides you through the process of being a parent is all in Joburg. But we chose to stay on here. And that has been an amazing journey for me because the day that they all went with dad, so we, in, we, we did it slowly and one by one went, they stayed with dad. Um, the day all three went to dad was the day I had made sure I had a friend to go and visit immediately. Because if I had stayed home, I probably would have been there for a very long time. And I needed to stand up. Stand up to my own truth. Stand up to who I was. And stand up to who I wanted to become. And rediscover myself. So it's been an amazing five years for me. And um, because, remember, I want to dedicate my life to my kids. I was a full-time mother, full-time wife and homemaker for 18 years. And then suddenly I needed to earn some money. I needed to learn what to do with that money. I needed to learn how to spend it and how to save it, which was completely out of my comfort zone. So um, I was beautifully cradled by the parent center. And that is why my commitment and my connection to them is so deep, because that is my home as a new woman. I attended some of their parenting workshops, which are amazing in terms of positive parenting and just upskilling yourself. Um, and then I came on board as a social worker, which was great. I uh, counseled in their counseling team, and I, I, I run workshops and um, do training for them in various parts of the country, uh, specifically here in Cape Town. We do talks and um, just sharing the concept, sharing the vision of raising resilient children. Because that is where I learned, and that is how I was strengthened within my own weakness to be able to just uh, um, become better. So my very first counseling client that I had, believe it or not, was the very same situation that I had walked out of. So it was beautiful and painful to sit there as a professional, knowing that I've just gone through the same thing. But I was just one step ahead. The beauty part was it was that I could empathize with her completely and hold her hand and help her through that process because that's what the parent center has done for me over these past five years. And it's been amazing, an amazing journey. I work for them part-time. Um, I do consult for other organizations and institutes as well as a counselor and trainer. But I've also started my own private practice. So that's been exciting. For the last two years, I have a private practice called Tangent Holistic Healing. And simply that's because life throws you a curveball and you go off on a tangent. And what happens then? Are you going to get back onto that path? Are you going to find your journey and make it work for you on that tangent? Because that's where I was, and I needed the support structure as a, a single Muslim woman um, who needed to embrace babysitters in a city that she was living in without any family support structure and then not having a um, husband on hand, and I needed to make things work. And that's where Tangent was born, so that I could assist other women like myself um, who are facing um, what life has given us. The trauma and the challenges are part of our contact with life. But it's how we stand up and make a difference and how we embrace that. And that's been um, yeah, an amazing journey for me and I look forward to many more years ahead like that. The reason I brought our amazing panel here is so that we can have a discussion and unpack some of what they've mentioned. Inspiring their own way, huh? How incredible. Do you recognize you? 
I do. Zane, I'm going to start with you. Oh, he says no. no. Um, first, do we have a question from the audience? This is a safe space and you're welcome to raise your hand and we'll take the discussion further. Otherwise, I will ask the questions. Mom, you're welcome to stand. The question is for Melissa. So you said that a big part of you, the broken parts were healed and do you ever find that those parts still affect how you raise your children? And I know for me it's a big fear of not projecting it onto my kids, but by doing that you almost project it onto your kids by your actions. Yeah, I definitely agree with you and that's a very key thing that you are saying is by making that vow that you will not do it this way and you will not do it this way keeps all the focus on that negative part instead of focusing on what I want to do differently. Um, and I think therein lies the key in not making the same mistakes. But I think for me a big, a big thing was finding my own voice as a parent and not saying I don't want to be like this parent or I don't want to do it that way or maybe she has a good point but taking all of that and finding my own voice and I make so many mistakes. Um, my biggest thing that affected me um, as in my parenting was um, being perfect. In my childhood I was never allowed to make mistakes. I was supposed to be perfect all the time, say the right things, sit when I needed to sit, stand when I needed to stand, and I was forced to be a perfect little girl all the time. And for me, that escalated, and it was almost like a looking glass um, when I became a parent. I wanted to be a perfect parent all the time, and then there was one day, I'll never forget it, saw my little girl sitting on the couch, I think she was three at the time, and she was biting her nails. I was like, I need to have a serious talk with myself because I was projecting my need to be a perfect parent from the source of my own brokenness onto my child and forcing her to be perfect all the time. And I realized I never gave her the freedom to make mistakes because I never had that freedom. But the moment I had that realization that it's okay to make mistakes, I talk about it on the podcast, the pivotal moment that I realized it was okay to make mistakes, we had a braai at our house. And I put the garlic bread in the oven, and then I was chatting so lacquer, and it was such a vibe that I forgot about the garlic bread. And I went into the kitchen, and it had burned. And I scolded myself, how stupid can you be? You knew you put the garlic bread in here. And I was literally out loud, breaking myself down for making a mistake because that meant I wasn't perfect. And my husband came into the kitchen and he's like, relax, it's just a bread. We all make mistakes. It's okay. And for the first time I realized, oh my word, this is what I've been doing my entire life, was scolding myself for not being perfect and I was doing exactly the same on my little girl, not allowing her the freedom to make mistakes. And it was that realization that you don't need to be perfect that saw my little girl go from, I could see the, the fear disappearing when she said, that was not the ongeluk, that was not the ongeluk. And she had that fear that I was going to scold her from going, Mama, this is not the ongeluk, this is okay. Um, and the moment I saw that change, it made me realize that um, you need to be very sensitive to the brokenness that you have and be okay with that and be um, for it to be known to you so that you know how to be different from it.
You're welcome to raise your hand if you want to ask anything. Otherwise, I'll just keep the conversation going. Yes, mom. She said, I'm not a mom. That's also okay. okay. <laughs> um, I have a question for Zane. Um, any advice for us considering being single parents without a father? Um, so IVF, sperm donation, that type of thing. Because a lot of the negative comments I get is, how can you consider having a child without a father uh, present? So any advice from your side? And do you think having a good support with good male role, uh, role models being enough? Absolutely. That last part of your question is vital. Fatherhood is not biological. Say it again. Fatherhood is not biological. Your, your older brother could be a father figure to your kids. The school teacher, the school rugby coach, the youth leader, I don't know, you know. Fatherhood is not biological. Um, there are lots of people who take the choice that you do to not have uh, a partner in having kids. And, um, but I say that's, that's your choice. But understand the input the child needs. Understand um, the input the child needs from a male perspective. Is he a boy or a girl? But, but either way, it doesn't matter. Boys and girls both. I, I, I do a, a seminar on the voice of the father, how important the voice of affirmations from father affect children, affect children from when they're young to when they're married. Just the affirmation that comes from fathers, um, especially with the uh, instances of, child, uh, of youth pregnancy that we have at the moment. Girls aren't just promiscuous at that age for summer. Girls sleep around because they have not had the input of a father from when they were little. You know, when we go home now this afternoon, Megan and I, there's going to be a little one waiting for us at the airport. She's six. We've got five kids, by the way. We beat you guys. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, don't look at me like we still have it. We, we're young. But my little daughter's going to be waiting there, one of the twins, Liam and Leah. She's going to be waiting, and she's going to run. She's going to run, Daddy. And she always runs to Daddy. She'll go to Mommy afterwards. And I'm going to pick her up and I'm going to hold her in my arms. I'm going to swing her. And then she knows what it feels like to have a man's arms around her in a non-sexual context. It's vital for children to experience that when they're young. He just feels comfortable. He feels safe. feels secure. He's a little harder than mommy. And his stem is, his, his stem is a bit thicker. But she knows when she smiles. She's got me turned around that little pinky of us. Very cute pinky it is. She knows that. All my girls do. So, so that's where girls learn to operate and work with men in the safety and comfort of a home. Not on the back seat of a car when she's 14, 15, 16. Not in the back room of someone's house where she's got to hear I love you and you're beautiful for the first time just to affirm herself. But she's got to give, she's got to exchange something for that. That's why for me, maleness and manhood is so important. Fatherhood is so important. It's to prevent that from happening. It's to give value to that child, to all children. So, you know, uh, uh, kids, and I know I'm talking a lot now, but kids don't know rich or poor when they're growing up. They, a girl who goes for horse riding lessons every day uh, and a little boy who plays in a squatter camp with a stone for a car, they don't understand rich or poor. They, that boy can become Patrice Motsepi and that girl can become a drug addict on the streets of Cape Town. You know, it can swap. But the input that they get when they're little can't be inputted later when they're older. Then it's too late. So money, don't ever think that money is an important 
component to you raising children. It isn't. The love that they get and the input that they get is far, far more important than how much money you have to raise a child and what you can give them. And also, you're a single parent, you're standing on one leg already, don't kick that leg out from under yourself by being too permissive. It's my big thing with my sisters, I see how permissive they are with their kids. Uh, you're teaching the child when they throw a tantrum, when they're older, they can throw a tantrum and expect it in their marriage. And that's not going to happen. You know, the, the husband or wife will probably walk out to them. So teach them now the responsibility of, I'm a single mom, I've got to almost be twice as tough, because I don't have that support with me. Um, so don't be a too permissive a parent. That's the only other thing that I say. And then lastly, be careful the, the, the example that you set for them. There's so many single mothers I counsel who allow men into their lives once a month. And then I say, but now why are you doing that? He said, but Brother Zane, I also have needs. <laughs> I have needs. So I say, okay, but now what example are you setting for your little daughter? She's seeing this. And she's realizing she can just invite a man into her life once. And you'll only see him when it's such a payout as well. You know, when it's a payout, then, then he's around, you know, like he's coming up. Um, and, and what are you saying to your son? What example are you setting for your son that he doesn't have to commit to any woman? He can just pitch up at their homes once a month. So just as a single mom, those are, for any parent really, how we raise our kids, even in, in two-parent households, how we raise our kids are vital because they don't learn from what we say. They learn from what they see, from the example that he set for us. Thank you. So I'd like just to share a little bit from my perspective, because obviously I chose to be single after being uh, um, in a, a marriage. And I speak here not as a wounded woman, but as a healed woman. Um, and there's a stigma attached to us single people, males or females. And there's a high expectation as well. And then it creates even higher disappointment in our own lives because of other people's expectations on us. And the biggest thing for me was to just let go of that expectation. I'm walking my own path. And nobody knows what goes on within my own being as well as within my family situation. So again, you know, what are you teaching your children? Um, if you've got girls, if you've got boys, what lessons are they learning from you? What social skills are they learning? And I think the most important thing is communication. If you can't communicate with your own self and admit to yourself and acknowledge that I'm feeling really down and out and I really don't know what to do and I'm lost and I'm confused, how can, then you, how can you then be a guide and a support to the little human beings that you are looking after? If you can admit that, and show them that, okay, this is where I am and I'm going to look for some support. I'm going to call someone or I'm going to read a book. I'm going to get some information. They're learning a life skill. And they're learning how to stand up in adversity. Because that's what it is. We all know the beauty of a butterfly comes from the adversity. And we need to remember that. So your adversity as a single mom, by choice or w without choice, really is something that you can thrive and grow through from there. Because we can become vibrant flowers. And in a garden, we have a whole array of vibrant flowers. Even the beautiful, simple green leaf is beautiful in its own essence. And it complements everything else. And if we understand that, then we understand that your own being is important and significant to your children. Because you are the most important person in their life. No matter how broken you feel, they look up to you. And they're looking for support because you are the adult. 
So take that stand and find ways that you can enhance your own self, enhance your own physical and emotional well-being, but that will make a difference. I just realized that three of our panelists have got more than two children. And I want to ask you about that. Because I really want another baby. <laughs> and Come back in. Come back in. <laughs> but on a serious note, I want to know, and, and Vanessa, maybe you can help me guide through this. Because I know, I, I have followed your journey, like you talked about your international input and how you, as an editor, had staff. Like, you, you had to be at work, right? But you had more than three children at the time that needed your attention. Do we, do we say I'm not having more children because I don't have the time um, and regret it later and go, ah, oh, I should have had, a, you know, I should have had another baby? And, or, or do you, where do you find the time? Um, so to start with my, it's, we have a very complicated family because as I said, we have four at the moment, we lost one as well. So at one point we had five. Um, and when I lied to my husband and I said, um, if we go on holiday this year, I won't have another baby and had one. <laughs> um, that child was called, what was I thinking for the first six months of his life? <laughs> he was, I would introduce my children as Max, Mila, Az, and what was I thinking? He's, here's the trick. He has turned out to be the most marvelous, well-adjusted, wonderful, funny, strong, powerful little creature of his own even though he was, has never had a new pair of shoes in his life. He <laughs> wears hand-me-down everything. He actually ratted me out to his um, school um, teacher because um, the last report I forgot to read. And when, <laughs> and when the teacher said to him, um, what did your mother think of his report? He looked at him and he said he, she didn't read it. And he said should I discuss that with her at the PTA? And then he said, I don't think she's planning to come to that. <laughs> so he here's what happens. A heart expands. A heart grows. Um, once you've lost a child, you believe you will never heal. You don't think you will get through it at all. You certainly don't think you'll love again. You don't think you've got the capacity to do that again. And guess what? the miracle occurs, whether the child comes to you biologically or, as I said, our fourth semi-detached child just materialized because he decided it was a good idea. He took a look at us and thought, okay, I'll have them. <laughs> and so you do it. And as far as the work goes, um, I think role models are enormously important. I have been introduced on speaking um, platforms very often as Jane Raffaele's mother, I'm not. I'm her daughter. And she was a woman who, I don't know if any of you know who she is, my mother. <laughs> okay. She was a woman who, I'm 54 years old. Um, I was born on the day of her first magazine. And she had three children and then four. So back in those days, there was even more judgment, more support, more, um, la less support for a working mother. And a mother who unashamedly said, I am the tent pole. If I'm not okay, if mom's not okay, my kids are not okay. And it is an incredible gift and a privilege to be um, happy doing whatever you're doing, whether that is choosing to raise your children, and that's enough, 
or whether you actually wanted to work. And my mother wanted to work, and that is her identity. And we sat on the side of traffic, of, we sat on the side of pavements for hours because she'd forgotten to pick us up. She never came to PTAs. She was always busy, often on the phone. But her heart expanded as well. And into that enormous heart also came someone that I looked up to, a role model that I followed, someone that I also learned wasn't perfect and learned how to forgive, which is huge in parenting. You know, one of the reasons why we make mistakes is because how else do we learn and they learn? If you set a perfect, um, if you set your bar perfect, a child is going to be running after you for life. And that's not happy either. You have to teach them how to fail. You have to show them, role model it. So even for very strong-willed children, and our generations are all strong-willed, role modeling, being someone who stands for what's important to them, not to the children. I mean, I promised you at, at eight years old, I would have said to my mother, there are three of us, we're all the same age. We, she had us one year after the other. Um, we're all the same age. We're not getting enough attention. You want to have another baby and you're starting your third magazine. That's not enough. But we had the conversation and we grew to respect and accept each other. Her needs, she probably had to adjust a lot as well. So it's existing in an imperfect world that makes sense to you. That's, that's the biggest lesson, I think. And so in terms of um, have another baby, if Ian wants another baby, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> if Ian doesn't want a baby, tough luck, Ian. <laughs> but all I can tell you is my what the hell was I thinking baby is a joy and a pleasure, and we are brilliant. My next question is to you, Shahana. Yolanda, do you want to quickly ask? It actually touched a nerve with me listening to your response because I'm in a very difficult situation right now and I probably want to get like the male perspective on this. So for the last couple of years, my husband's been saying, you know, the one kid is enough. And then you get all these judgmental moms that look at you and say, oh, you don't think you got it so tough, you only have one kid. I'm like, yeah, I got one demon child. It is tough. <laughs> and, you know, um, oh, sorry, my child is not demonic all the time, just like 75% of the time. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's really, really tough listening to this because I've actually now decided to go off contraceptive. One, because I'm selfish and I want to lose weight. And the second reason why is because I never saw myself as one child mom. But when you have a partner that keeps telling you for the last four years, you know, it's really you work long hours. Because I do. I work 10 to 12 hours. He works 10 to 12 hours. So it's like you have, we have all this work. We have to focus on ourselves. It's really tough. So I, I think it struck a chord with me, and I think I want to get the male perspective of what do you say when you're not 100% sure if you're the one kid mom, but you don't know how to talk your husband out of the one kid phase. And then the second thing I think is, and, what, and this we've really been suffering through our marriage, and it's, it's very sensitive for me, but we've been suffering for it in our marriage, is the fact that it's been tough. You know, we had the kid, and yes, it's only one kid, you judgmental people. But we have this kid, and we work 10 to 12 hours a day, because he has his own business as well, and we don't have time for each other. I can see him, like, emotionally switch off from me when we're trying to have a conversation, and this four-year-old is interrupting us because she wants the attention, and he feels he doesn't have the attention. So it's a two, kind of two-question thing. The one, the one-kid phase... Can you talk your husband out of it? And am I really ready to be an, a mom to a second kid four or five years later? I've blissfully forgotten all the bad times. Um, 
And also, how do we rescue our marriage because we are tired and, and we have lost each other and it's tough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the parents enter. <laughs> Let me tell you how I did. I, I like that question because Part, of, part of, of what we do is to get men to think differently about manhood, as I said, and to move away from that, um, how are you doing, Dad, mm, kind of guy, where he just grunts and just, you know, just eats meat and growl. And it's like, you know, men today have they've regressed. They've regressed from guys who used to, when they were dating you, used to sing to you and call you baby and sweetheart and lovey and used to do long speeches to a guy walking around in holes in his underpants and vests going, ah, ah, ah. They've gone back into the caveman. They've actually regressed backwards. So, so I, I, I like that because I've got a, a teaching men to change their thinking around manhood. For example, women, I see what I see now. I see a man and a woman walk to a bus, a train, a taxi, and a car. And then the woman get into the bus, the train, the taxi, and the car. And the men go home and... Whatever it is they do, I don't know what they do. I don't know. They sit in the sun or something, or they. they um, but that is what's happening now. I'm seeing men. So I tell them that doesn't diminish your role as a man. Doesn't diminish your role in the marriage or whatever. You've got to rethink that. So if your time and you're the one working late, for example, Megan, she's the marketing manager of the biggest shopping centre in the country, Menlin. Um, so she works and she comes home late. So generally, my mother-in-law is living with us now, but generally I'm the one who would cook, which I never used to do, but I've become a very good cook. And I, I boil a lot of things, you know. So <laughs> rice and pasta and pup and salad and that kind of thing. I boil it. So, you don't boil salad. Okay, now I know. No wonder the kids have never eat it. Um, but the point is, it doesn't diminish the role. Remember, you, you are co partners in this marriage. It's not one person has got this thing that they exclusively have to do. Yes, you're the nurturer and you can have babies. He can't. You've got to explain that to him. But he can still cook. He can still help. He can still do so much in the house that, that breaks the stereotype of the man that we knew from 20, 30 years ago. You know? Um, so Megan and I do that. We also make sure that one day a week we have a date night. So even if we walk around the block three times at home, but we spend that time by ourselves and we talk and it's just the two of us, or we go for a cup of coffee, or we just walk in the mall even. We don't have money. We, so we, go, we don't have money for coffee, but we'll walk in the mall and window shop, but we spend time together. That's vitally important. Then as a dad, I spend time with my kids. So on a Tuesday, I'll take this one for a milkshake. On a Thursday, I'll take that one for a milkshake because we've got little ones. We've got five kids. The twins are six. My eldest is 26. So we got them like this. You know, we always wanted a big family. So the last, the twins are adopted out of here, out of Cape Town. We never say that. We always say that our kids, they were born and we trying to explain to them how they came about now. So we tell them exactly that they were born in our hearts. So, so Campbell, Connor and Mikey were born out of mommy's tummy, but you guys were born out of our hearts. And that's how we try to explain to you that someone else had you, but you were born right here. And now I can't imagine my life without those kids. You know, you, you they're like, Sometimes even more your kids than your biological children. And so, so, so maybe for those of you thinking of having uh, children, you don't have to have them biologically. There are so many children, as, as uh, Melissa said, that are in need of parents. Children just want to be loved. When we came down to Cape Town, how I met my twins was amazing. 
But to go to all of these orphanages and children's homes and houses of safety and just see the kids there. And some of them haven't even been touched for a while because there's only two care workers in that little uh, home who picks the child up, cleans the nappy, and then puts them in a baby chair. And that's where they stay for like three, four hours. So sometimes when I walked into the homes and I wanted to just touch the one child's hand, the child would go like this. And like, what are you doing? They, they're not even used to being touched or held and that, you know, and, and that just breaks my heart. And, and, and so I want to encourage people, if you want to have more kids and you, you feel you're past the age or whatever, or there's a child that was born out of your heart just waiting for you to take them home and, and, and to love them. Because kids, that's all they want. They, they, you know, like I said, they don't want rich, they don't want money. They, they just want to belong. They want to know their identity and they want to be know that they, that they belong to a family unit. And that for me is so vital. Explain that to your husband and then see how he feels after that one. <laughs> I can maybe add to the question, how do you salvage your marriage? Um, there are a few things that we do at home to try and keep us, us. Um, the one thing, the, the first thing that we do is our kids respect our conversation. And we taught them that. Um, that when mommy and daddy, when we're having a conversation, if you go, mama, 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 I'm not going to just drop everything with my husband and say, yes, what do you want? we've taught this little thing where I put my hand out like that so that they know I hear them, but that I'm going to finish the conversation with my husband first. Because before they were there, we were here. And we need to stay us for them to have a healthy perspective on what a, what a relationship should be. So that's the one thing we do, the acknowledgement, and then the finishing of the conversation, and then you attend to them. So that's one thing we do. If you teach your kids to respect your conversation and your time, you're doing them a favor, not just yourself. And then the other thing that we do is, I used to be addicted to television when I was in high school. Like, legitimately, that was where I spent my time. Um, and then we got married, and we have a TV, but we don't have TV. So my kids are kind of old school, just like when we like to, I like to read a book. I don't want to read it on my phone. And so we take the kids and we go and buy DVDs. Like it's this whole experience. They get to hold it. They get to put it in. It's like a whole experience. So that's the, that's the amount of TV that we have. And all of our friends have asked us, okay, but what do you do in the evening? I'm like, hmm. And then conversation as well. Um, but after the kids have gone to bed and they're in their rooms, the house is quiet, we never put on a TV or do anything technological. We really just sit and have conversations. And the biggest thing in our conversation is asking questions. So I will ask him questions and give him the opportunity to feel heard and for, to hear his response. And then when he's finished talking, he will ask me questions and I have an opportunity to tell him everything that has happened during the day or what I'm going through in my mind or things like that. So cultivating a routine that is conducive to having conversation with each other and not losing one another. So maybe those two things can help. I don't know. Maybe. Ladies and ladies, we would like to thank our panel. You are awesome. We love you. To our panel, Melissa, we begin by you. G-strings or full underwear? Full, under, full underwear. <laughs> Do you breastfeed or bottle feed? Both. 
Do you like your husband or love him? I love him. Okay, that was your quick fire. Vanessa, if you had to do any gig next, what would it be? Three hours on my bed with a decent book and peace and quiet. Yeah. (laughs) What's your favorite food? Uh, Pasta, but I can't eat it. Why not? No carb diet. (laughs) What's the biggest lesson your mom taught you? Um, Forgiveness and patience. It's huge. Every, mm. Even the most amazing people are not perfect. Yeah. Oh, good. Even the most amazing people are not perfect. Isn't that awesome? Shahana, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get home? Kick my feet off <laughs> and get ready for my kids. They come home this evening. Ah. <laughs> what do you do when they're not there? Do I have to tell? <laughs> <laughs> so I do lots. I'm actually a life coach. I do energy and emotional healing and I do trauma release exercises. If I'm not engaging in that, I have lots of girlfriends, go out a lot, and I love my quiet time. love laying in the grass and just enjoying my space. Would you get married again? Absolutely. <laughs> Waiting for him. <laughs> Zane, do you know how to kiggle? Uh, yeah. I've been kegling since Joburg. My wife said to me other day, she said, even your, your, your buns are tighter, son. I said, thank you. Well, so yeah. In in 25 years of marriage, congratulations. We're so happy for you. Yeah. In 25 years of marriage, what's the one thing that you can teach someone who is newlywed? One thing. Now. Your wife is always right. <laughs> if you didn't marry your wife. Yes. That's not a question. You notice I said yes. What's the one thing you want to say to all of our single moms here? Because they're listening to you as a man on the panel. Wow, I think I said it earlier, single mums. If it wasn't for you, I don't know where this country would be, honestly. I know how tough it is for single mothers. Every week, I've got three sisters, as I said, who are single mums. Every week I get a phone call. Oh, please come and talk to this child. He's being rude again. Or haven't you got a hundred bucks to borrow me? Or something, you know, there's always something. And so I know, no, that's a real thing. It's, it's, I know what you're going through. But I, I always, wherever I go, I ask for God's, God's double portion of his blessing and anointing upon you because you single mothers are just holding it together for the rest of this nation. And, and so I salute you and I thank you. And really, God must bless you. Thank you. Lastly, let's give another round of applause to our beautiful panel. You're amazing. <laughs>